Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Around the Arc. I'm Jamie. Now, first off, apologies for the for the little break between this episode and last episode. I promise that as we as we get closer to uh, the NBA season beginning, we'll ramp up the pace with these with these episodes once again. But um, since it's still the off season again, no real rhyme or reason as to why we do the topics we do so another couple of couple of random topics for you today um but still still worth sticking around for the the first thing i wanted to get into is james harden and specifically i want to look at his legacy and sort of how he'll be remembered once he once he retires i know that that day is still a ways away but i felt i felt like talking about it just because I feel like I feel like Harden has one of the more interesting and almost polarizing legacies of of any player in the league today. So I wanted to get into that first, and then um, later on we'll we'll do uh, a little bit of a uh, preview, if you will, for for some of the contending teams uh, this season. But without any further ado, let's just get into this James Harden business. So, I think it it goes without saying that at this point, James Harden is one of the best players in the NBA 
today, and he will one day be remembered as one of the greatest of all time. But how will he be remembered? That's the focus I wanna I wanna take today. So um, yeah, as I said, we're going to take a look at uh, James Harden's legacy and see how he and should stack up against other NBA greats. So um. First off, I want to look at the numbers, since Harden is a bit of a stat machine. Now, since coming into the league, uh, James Harden's stats have increased just about every season, and he's now at the point where he's putting up numbers that we have almost, you know, never heard of before. You know, most thought that um, James had finally hit his peak in his MVP campaign a couple of seasons ago, you know, where he put up over 30 points, averaged almost nine assists a night for a 65-win Rocket squad that was one win away and one injury away from making it to the NBA Finals. You know, fair enough to assume that that's his peak, but no, he came back last season and up to scoring to an absurd 36 points per game. And to put that into perspective a little bit, if Harden had played, instead of last year, in the same season where Wilt averaged over 50 points a game, Harden would have averaged over 60. That's the kind of offensive year he had a year ago. Now, all of this is to say that when his career does come to an end, Harden will be, he'll be pretty high on a number of all-time lists, such as, you know, points, assists, three-pointers made, and free throws made as well. You know, the fact is that Harden is one of the most lethal, efficient, and dangerous offensive players that we have ever seen in the NBA, and he certainly has the numbers to back that up. Now I want to take a look at the kind of regular season success that James Harden has seen in his career, especially since coming to Houston. And I think it's also fair to say that it's no secret that up until this point in his in his NBA career, the highest heights of Harden's power have been reached in the regular season. You know, after all, it was in the regular season. It's been in the regular season where uh, James has finished in the top two for MVP in four of the last five years. It's been in the regular season where he's put up averages of 30.4 points, 6.4 rebounds, and 8.4 assists in that same five-year stretch for the Rockets. And it's been in the regular season where the Beard has led his team to a 270-140 to record in the last five seasons, leading them on several deep playoff runs, while also being one of the most high-usage players in NBA history. You know, championship or no championship, James Harden will always be remembered as one of the greatest regular season performers that we have ever seen. Now, something that makes James Harden and his legacy stand out, maybe, from from the rest of the pack is is the unique way that he goes about the game. The unique way that he kind of exploits and almost bends rules to his will. And I think that will be that will be one of the more noteworthy aspects of his legacy. Um you know, how he changed the game of basketball and how he 
does almost bend the rules in some cases. Now, in the last couple of seasons especially, uh, James has evolved into arguably the most lethal one-on-one and isolation scorer in, in NBA history, and a large amount of that has to do with this... Um, I'm going to call it rule bending, but not 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 in a bad way. I'm not I'm not trashing the guy for it at all. We'll we'll get into that in a minute. But to get back to his lethal one-on-one scoring, I mean, the man has always had a knack for drawing fouls and getting to the free throw line. That's nothing new. I mean, he leads the league in in free throw attempts almost every season. You know, he's a, he's a master at you know, drawing contact, flailing his arms, contorting his body in ways that almost force the refs to make a call. And in recent years, um, last year this was most evident, Harden has expanded his foul-drawing prowess all the way out to the three-point line, where, again, he draws more, more fouls than anyone else. Um you know the way the way his shooting mechanics are from deep it sort of brings his his shot brings his uh center of gravity forward on his on his way down which means that any defender close enough to uh almost obstruct his landing is going to be in danger of picking up a foul call and you know that that rule specifically was at the center of all the of all the controversy in the second round of the playoffs last year when the Rockets were facing the Warriors. There was a lot of talk about that. Um, but yeah, that, that reality of, of defenders, you know, obstructing his landing, you know, that the reality of a foul being called, that's made all the more inevitable, you know, when, when Harden sticks his leg out um, you'll see him do that occasionally to bait the defender into contact or, you know, if all else fails, I mean, a little flop <laughs> can be just the thing to do the trick. And all of that, and I, I haven't even gotten into his step back three yet. Now, in case you were not aware, the step back three has become James Harden's signature shot, his go-to move. It's one of the hardest shots to guard, and Harden's particular step back, it's ignited a debate in NBA circles concerning whether or not it is actually a legal NBA move, or in fact to travel. Now, you'll hear, you'll hear analysts and fans alike go back and forth on that all day long, so um, I want you to let me know on Twitter... Uh, at around the arc pod tweet me letting me know what you think about james harden's step back is it a travel or is it a legit move and you know speaking of this this is where some of the questions come in about about james's so-called rule bending or exploiting you know some some command harden for the for the genius he shows in pushing the rules to their limit and almost molding the game in his favor while others just flat out condemn him, saying that his style of play, you know, it takes away from the game, it isn't enjoyable to watch, and in some cases, you know, he's even been accused of cheating the game. Now, I I definitely don't agree with that statement, and personally, I, I commend james harden for his approach to the game you know um i saw i saw one guy i I can't remember who it was say maybe a couple of years ago that um you know while other guys are staying in the gym 
James has hid his head in the rule book, you know, trying to figure out a new way to make the game easier for him, a new way to dominate, essentially. And whatever side of this that you come down on, you can't say there isn't a method to Harden's madness. I mean, we've seen we've seen the man improve significantly in some way almost every year since he arrived in Houston. And a lot of that has to do with the way he manipulates the game in his favor. You know, he, he's not he's not the biggest, strongest guy uh, that you're gonna find at the at the two guard position. He's he's not got insane hops or athleticism. It's his craftiness and his savviness that that we've been talking about. That's what makes Harden such a lethal threat on offense. And if you've been if you've been watching some of the off-season scrimmage footage, you'll see that it appears that Harden has now added a one-legged three-pointer to his arsenal, which means that if that's falling for him next year, we could see an even more dangerous Harden than the one who averaged 36 points a year ago. Now, that is, that is a heck of a scary thought there. And... You know, say say what you will about his sort of polarizing style of play, but at the end of the day, James Harden will go down as one of the most unique superstars that the NBA has ever seen, and his impact on the game of basketball, I think, will be felt long after he decides to hang him up, and I think a, a lot of that has to do with you know, his his unique perspective on the rules and his uh, unique way of um, exploiting them to to his favor. And again, when I say exploiting, I, I don't mean that in a negative sense at all. I, I, I'm all for it. I think it's very, well, I think you could say it's savvy and, and crafty and it plays into his, his style of play. Now, I feel like any any discussion about a player's legacy and and Harden's no different. Uh, you have to talk about what they do in the playoffs, their postseason success, both individually and as a team. And this is where you'll find the one the one real knock on Harden's legacy, and that is his reputation in the in the postseason. You know, although there is still a ways to go before he retires, James still finds himself without a ring. And, and what's more, he's also had several rather ugly playoff losses that many feel should have played out differently. Now, I'm going to lay out a few of them for you um, just, as, just as examples. You know, you had last season where, uh, you know, Harden's Rockets lost to the Warriors in, in game six of the second round. And that was, you know, the Warriors were, were without KD. This was after he went down with that calf injury. And, you know, most people, including myself, thought that that was a golden opportunity for Houston to come in and all, and and win the series, basically. But it just couldn't get it done. I'm not saying that's solely down to James Harden, but as the best player on the team, you gotta, you know, shoulder a fair amount of that of that blame. Then you had just just the year prior in the 2018 Western Conference Finals, also against the Warriors. There was all that infamous Game Seven, 
where the Rockets missed 27 consecutive three-pointers, which, you know, would ultimately cost them their season. Now, a lot of that, a lot of times that gets overshadowed by the Chris Paul injury. Um, and I feel that that, you know, fairly to a point takes away some of the criticism that Harden faces for that for that game seven but you still remember Houston held a double digit point lead at halftime they were playing extremely well and it's like Harden had them by the throat in that game but he just let go in the second half um but again not not solely on him this is just just another example of a of a playoff shortcoming and then we get to the worst example of them all. And this is, I think, the lowest point of James Harden's career. And that I'm talking about the anemic 10 points showing that he had against the San Antonio Spurs without Kawhi in Game 6 of the 2017 Western Conference semifinals, which again resulted in the end of Houston's season. Now... Those are just three recent examples of, of James Harden's playoff shortcomings. But if, if you look at his entire playoff career, you'll see that his production drops off almost across the board. Now, that isn't to say that he's bad in the playoffs. He's not. It's just that he rarely reaches the level of play that he showcases in the regular season, and he almost never exceeds it. Now, why is this? Well, I've kind of I've kind of got two answers for that. Some of it is due to the fact that defensive intensity really picks up in the playoffs and teams become a lot more focused on star players. So defenses are a lot more focused on Harden and because you're playing uh the same team at least four times consecutively, you know, teams have more time to scheme and game plan for Harden. They they know his tendencies, his strengths and weaknesses and stuff. Um so that that's part of it. But then again you've also got other star players who, you know, persevere and rise above that and still find another level to reach in the playoffs. Um LeBron's an obvious example for that. Um but that 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 is that is partly how you could explain Harden's drop-off in production, you know? And that, that would definitely explain the drop-off in both field goal percentage and three-point percentage that Harden experiences in the playoffs. I think his uh, his field goal percentage drops to around 41% in the playoffs and his three-point percentage down to about 33%. Uh, uh, not, the, not the level he reaches in the regular season. Um, and then a lot of the rest of it, has to do with the way that playoff basketball is officiated. And we saw this was a big topic of conversation in last year's playoffs. Um, simply put, Harden doesn't get the same calls that he does in the regular season. And you'll see that in his free throw attempts. Those numbers often drop come playoff time uh, as well. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Playoff Harden is still a really, really good player. But to this point, we haven't seen him elevate his game in the biggest of moments, on the biggest stages where, where the games matter the most. And, you know, you see guys like LeBron and Michael Jordan, Kobe, they all have or had 
uh, another level that they could reach in these situations where the games mattered the most. And I think that's what sets them apart from guys like James Harden at this point. Uh, at this point of his career. And obviously, like I've said, there is still plenty of time for Harden to turn this around and almost rewrite the narrative for himself in the playoffs. Um, but no matter how the rest of his career unfolds, James Harden has already all but cemented himself as an NBA legend. You know, he's one of the best, most unique scorers and offensive weapons that we've ever seen with an unstoppable isolation game and an unguardable go-to move. You know, he's a perennial MVP candidate, all-star, and all-NBA player who seems to always have his Houston Rockets in the thick of the title race out west. You know, Harden is a first ballot Hall of Famer and one of the best players of this generation. But if he wants to be remembered in the same breath as guys like Kobe, D-Wade, Larry Legend, and LeBron, he's going to have to show up for his team when it matters the most. Now, at the moment, regular season Harden, he's a top 10 to 15 best players ever at this stage. Playoff Harden, on the other hand, becomes just a great player. If playoff Harden can match his regular season self, and on top of that, maybe win a championship, then I think he could easily go down as the third best shooting guard in NBA history. And he could still theoretically end up as a top 15 player of all time. We'll just have to see how the rest of it plays out. Now, how do how do you guys think that uh, James Harden will be remembered? What do you think his his legacy will be in the NBA? Again, let me know on Twitter at Around the Arc. Give me your thoughts on there. Now, moving on to our second and final topic of the day, um, which I'm going to be taking a look at every team who I think is a legitimate contender. Uh, and has a case to win it all next season. Now, given all of the major changes that the NBA underwent in the offseason, you know, the amount of players that changed teams, there are now, well, I've got nine teams that I think have a, a legitimate case to make for, for why they should, um, you know, be considered contenders. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to go through each of these teams in roughly descending order of of um or ascending order i'm going to i'm going to go through each of these teams uh in a rough sort of order so um first i'll talk about the team i think's least likely to to win it all out of this group and i'll i'll go down to the the most likely but yeah this isn't a super specific order and it could very well change it'll probably change multiple times during the season um but yeah this is this is just sort of a, a first look at these at these contenders in the sort of new look nba so without any further ado let's just jump right into it so the first team that i wanted to talk about the portland trailblazers now 
I think the the case that can be made for them uh, being a th- being a championship threat in the West, it all starts with their backcourt, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. Now, I think for the Blazers to legitimately have a shot against some of the other powerhouses you'll see in the West this year, I think Dame and CJ are each going to need to have career years. Um, now, I think that's it's certainly possible for those two. I mean, I think I've said on the podcast before, I think CJ has another level that he can reach to where he is, um, you know, averaging around about 25 points per game. I do think he has that next level to go. And um, he could maybe even be in contention for his, for his first All-Star game next year. It's crazy to think he's uh, never been an All-Star before. Um, so that that's that's something to watch out for. And then in the case of Dame, while I don't think he has much more improving left to do, I do think it is entirely possible that he could just go bananas for a season and have his equivalent of Steph Curry's unanimous MVP season back in 2016. Now, of course, I, I wouldn't expect Lillard to... Um, you know, push his efficiency up to 50, 40, 90 range. No, but I I do think he could potentially match uh, Steph's offensive stats from that season, just his box score numbers, um, uh, but just on, on slightly poorer efficiency. Um, but no question, I think... It, it could happen where where Dame puts together, you know, like thirty plus points, six assists on maybe like forty five percent from the field, forty five to forty seven percent, and then around forty percent from deep. I think that is entirely possible uh, for Lillard, and I think that that's the sort of thing it's going to take for the Blazers to to maybe move up this list, just like career years from Dame and CJ. Um, other things Portland has going for them, though, they are going to have Nurkic returning at some point this year. And uh, you saw last year they made that conference finals run without Nurkic on the team with him being sidelined. And you could have made the case last year that Nurk was their second best player in the regular season anyway. He had a, he had a phenomenal year averaging um, 15, 16 points over 10 boards, about three assists, a very underrated passer as well. And, you know, a sol- solid rim protector. He is a very, very serviceable do-it-all starting center. And if he can, if he can get back to that level, uh, maybe by the time the playoffs roll around this year, that will be a big boost for Portland heading into the heading into the playoffs. And then the 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 final thing I think this team has going for them is their chemistry. Now this core has been together for a good few seasons now and just having another year of experience playing with one another and also coming off the the success of of their playoff run last season. I think that's just going to kind of build the camaraderie in the in the in the locker room and I, I expect these guys to come in and, and buy in once once again um, under under Terry Stotts. So those, those are all things they have going for them. A couple of question marks 
for the for the Blazers, their new addition of Hassan Whiteside, I think, can be a very very good addition if if Whiteside can buy in and um, maybe mature a bit in in his role. However, even even if that is the case, and he and he is a welcomed addition to the team, it will still be interesting to see how him and Yusuf Nurkic fit once once he makes his return. So that will be something to keep an eye on, and also. It'll be interesting to see how these guys, how this team replaces uh, both Mo Harkless and Alfaro Camino, who they lost in free agency this year. You know, both guys were a part of the starting lineup a year ago, and they were very kind of instrumental to the to the team's success. Now, uh, the Blazers did trade for Kent Bazemore, who can hopefully fill some of that void, and they've also got Rodney Hood, who they'll be looking to fill an expanded role this year. And uh, the man showed um, some flashes in the, in the playoffs last year, so um, there's cert there's certainly hope and. Um, yeah, depending on what kind of year we get from Dame and CJ, we'll say we'll see where the Blazers end up on this list. But for the moment, they're they're slotting in at the number nine spot. Next up, we have the Denver Nuggets, uh, another team who had a very very impressive season a year ago. Now, a few of the things that these guys have going for them. Their two best players, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, still have room to get better. They're still they're still young guys, and after each of them essentially broke out in in the playoffs a year ago and really elevated their game, they'll both be looking to carry that momentum into this season. In the case of Jamal Murray, I've said I've said this before. I expect him to have his best season to date. Uh, averaging somewhere in the range of 20 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, maybe competing for his first All-Star game. That's the sort of expectations I've got set for him. And then in the case of Jokic, I think that this guy can turn into a legitimate MVP candidate, and that's, that's the step I expect him to make next year, going from maybe a borderline dark horse MVP candidate to a full blown you know top five top seven mvp mvp candidate and that's that's sort of what i expect from Jokic next year moving down the roster there's also uh, the case of gary harris who he he missed a fair bit of time with injury last season so if they have him back and fully healthy for a for a full campaign that will benefit them harris is an incredible uh two-way player and he plays very well off of off of Jokic as as most players do he's very good off the ball very good shooter and yeah like I said he's a he's a very good perimeter defender as well um you've also got Michael Porter Jr who I think is sort of the unknown x factor on this team Michael Porter Jr obviously the guy who got drafted a couple of couple of years ago now but he's still yet to play an NBA game he's been dealing with with pretty serious injury problems but if he can come back and show that he's fully recovered and that he can be fully healthy he could be a pretty major contributor in not too long a time for for this for this Nuggets squad and um you know if if he can live up to the hype that that was set for him before he got drafted you know before all these injury concerns then the Nuggets could have a go-to offensive scorer a couple of years down the line. 
And also, just again, touching on uh, Denver's success from last year, I think being a young team predominantly, I think that experience from last year in the playoffs, you know, that seven-game uh, first-round series win over the Spurs, and then also the the seven-game seven uh, series loss to the Blazers in round two, I think those will each uh, be learning experiences from them. And as young guys, I expect them to, you know, take things from from each of those series and come into next year as a more mature, a more experienced and more well-rounded, balanced team um, altogether. And um, given that it's mostly the mostly the same team as a year ago, like with the Blazers, these guys have terrific chemistry with one another. And, you know, as Jokic continues to develop and and continues to get better as the number one guy and having the offense run through him and everything. I think the the chemistry of this team is only going to improve, and I think it's it's not a stretch to say that this team is going to be pretty damn good on offense next year. And finally, as always is the case with, with Nuggets teams, their home court is going to be a big, big advantage for them. So I think... Uh, that that should serve as motivation in the regular season for these guys because I think um, they're going to want to get uh, as high a seed as possible in this crowded, ultra-competitive Western Conference because if I think if they're going to want a realistic shot to advance quite far in the playoffs, they're going to need home court on their side, especially if they're facing maybe a team like Utah or Houston or even like Golden State or something come come playoff time. I think that's going to be a big factor for them because, yeah, like I said, it's no secret that the home court advantage in Denver is a, is a big, big deal. In terms of question marks for these guys, um, you know, speaking of their home court advantage, they weren't all that great on the road a season ago. And being a young, inexperienced team, that's to be expected. But I think for them to to uh, assert themselves as a legitimate contender next season, they're going to have to up their play on the road. Um, and then... Uh, the final question mark, I think, is their star power. Now, that is that is nothing against Jokic at all. I think he is a top 10 player of the NBA, one of my favorite players to watch. But he's not the kind of superstar who you just give the ball to and say, go get me a basket. That he, he's just He's just not that kind of player. And... I feel like maybe come playoff time that the absence of that kind of go-to star scorer might show itself uh, in the playoffs. You know, there there is always the chance that Jamal Murray could step into that role. Um, he certainly uh, can do that in spurts, but whether he can be that guy consistently is, is unknown. The only other guy he could really see as... Um, as potentially becoming that in the future is Michael Porter Jr. But again, seeing as how he hasn't played yet, it'll take a bit of time for him to become that guy if he if he ever is going to. Um, but we saw we saw the Nuggets have success last year in the playoffs without a real kind of go to um like isolation scorer. So, and with the greatness of Jokic. 
you know, I, th- I feel like that is something they could overcome. And I haven't touched on Mike Malone either, head coach, one of the better head coaches in the league. Um, so him, him and Jokic and the rest of it, they could certainly overcome that. But again, something to keep an eye on for sure. Next up, uh, the team I wanted to talk about is the Golden State Warriors, a team who most people have have really counted out of the title race um, before the season started. But I think I think they're going to be right in the mix, provided, of course, that Clay Thompson returns healthy from his ACL injury. I think all their 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 title hopes hinges on on Clay coming back a hundred percent i think without him they're still going to be a very good team and a team that nobody's going to want to see in the playoffs i think uh but they're just not going to have enough i think um without without a fully healthy clay to really make um you know some championship level noise but you know assuming assuming health they're going to be right there and a couple of other advantages i think for this team um this is going to be the first year since back in 2014 that Golden State are going to be playing essentially without expectations. You know, of course they've got playoff expectations, but that's uh, that that's nothing new, but they're going to be playing without real championship aspirations. And with that, we're going to see a lot less drama and adversity surrounding this team especially compared to last season with it being KD's final year and all all that all that all that jazz um so yeah less drama less adversity playing with lower expectations i think this team is going to play loose um they're going to play as it, as if they have nothing to lose they're going to be playing with house money essentially and on top of all that they still have Steph Curry, who many are ex- are expecting to revert back to MVP form this year. And why wouldn't you expect that when, you know, without Clay, with KD gone, Steph is going to have about a million shot opportunities a game. He's going to have the ultimate green light. And I think that playing with D'Angelo Russell is actually going to help Steph's scoring because that means he can play more of an off-ball role coming off screens and things which he really thrives at. So I, I do expect an MVP caliber year from from Steph, and that is certainly going to help them win some regular season games and thus put them in a position, hopefully, come, come April time, where the return of Clay Thompson could maybe be enough to, to help them advance further in the playoffs. But then, of course, you know, a uh, couple of couple of obvious question marks for this team. The main one being health, um, because there is always the chance that Clay needs a bit of time once he returns to get back to that all star form that we're that we're used to from him, um, and that could very well hinder their title chances this season. Uh, there's also the question of their defense, especially when Clay is still out, because. Um, as you know, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. I mean, they still have Draymond, who, while he's not maybe as good as his 2017 defensive self, you know, he's still one of the top defenders in the league and one of the most versatile 
defenders and um i think for for golden state to have a uh formidable defense this year draymond's going to be he's going to have to be at a defensive player of the year level um, but other than that, you know, you've got Willie Colley Stein, who's who's um, an okay defender as a big man. Um, but then you look, you look at their backcourt in Steph and D'Angelo Russell, and you can see they're going to have their problems at times defensively. You know, neither of which is a uh, an all NBA defender. And then with their lack of size, you know, they're going to struggle against bigger guards. That they that they come across as well, um, so that that's that's another thing they're going to need Clay back a hundred percent for. So Clay is almost like the biggest X factor of the season for them, um, where he can essentially make or break Golden State's title chances. Uh, moving on to another team out west, we've got the Houston Rockets, who they they have a shot at the title purely from their from their star duo in in Russell Westbrook and James Harden from a pure talent perspective Houston is as good as anyone in in the league and you know if if the words are to be believed you know what Westbrook's come out and said about him playing off the ball and him and Harden being able to thrive away from the ball if if you believe him and Personally, I'll believe it when I see it. But if if that's true, if Westbrook has evolved and managed to change his game, and if Harden um, ha- can become more of an off-ball threat, um, that bodes very, very well for Houston. Because if you can have Westbrook and Harden playing well together and playing well off the ball, um, I think that's going to open up so many more open looks from deep. And you already know how much this Houston team likes to shoot threes so I think so I think if um yeah it all really hinges on this Westbrook Harden pairing and if that works then I I think Houston they could easily get a top two or three seed in the west and then it's kind of anybody's game when it comes to the playoffs. But that, that that's one of the main question marks I have for this team is their playoff chops, you know, how how well they're going to perform uh, on the biggest stage, really. Because you look at their two best players, both Westbrook and Harden. These are two guys who individually have their share of playoff shortcomings in their respective careers. I've talked about a few of Harden's earlier in the episode. So I think it's going to be interesting to see, even if even if the pairing does work and even if they do develop chemistry with one another, it's still going to be interesting to see how they handle the playoff pressure and how they how they play in the biggest games of the season. And you know, other than that, I think the most obvious question mark for for Houston is indeed the the fit between. Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Now they've they've said the right things since since the trade was made in the summer, uh, but I think uh, I think I speak for all of you when I say we'll believe it. We'll believe it when we see it. I think. Now moving on to the first of the teams on this list from the Eastern Conference, and that is the Milwaukee Bucks. Now. This team were they they had the best regular season record a year ago. 
they had the coach of the year in Mike Budenholzer, and they had the MVP in Yanis. Yet they did come up short, losing in the conference finals to the to the Toronto Raptors. But I think last year was was kind of like a coming out party for Yanis and the Bucks, and uh, they are far from done um, this upcoming season. Um, and I think that's where I wanted to start with their with their case for for winning it all next year is the fact that they can learn from last year. You know, they still have Coach Budenholzer, who's one of the very best coaches in the NBA. They still have the reigning MVP in Yanis Antetokounmpo, who, uh, if you haven't seen, he's been he's been learning how to shoot from Kyle Korver, and I think that that's that's the next point um, that makes Milwaukee so scary next year is if Yanis comes back with a with an improved jump shot next season then everything that worked last year in in stopping Yanis and the Bucks attack, all that goes out the window next year. You're going to have to come up with some new scheme to stop this guy if he comes back if he comes back with a jump shot. Simply put, I think if if Yanis comes back with a serviceable outside shot, he's winning back to back MVPs, no question. And I think the Bucks then become the overwhelming favorites to reach the finals in the East. I think it's it's that simple. Um and it it also helps them that they're playing in the Eastern Conference where they only really have one challenger uh to the Eastern Conference throne at this point, who I will get into in just a minute. Um but in ter- in terms of question marks, you know the the Bucks they did lose a couple of key guys in in the off season, namely Malcolm Brogdon, who was an instrumental piece to their success last year. You know, uh, he was a sixteen point per game scorer. Shot he joined the fifty forty ninety club, and he was a very versatile defender. So it's going to be it's going to be difficult to replace that, especially because they didn't go out and get a player to replace him. But I, they're they're going to have to take on a, a kind of replace by committee approach with with Brogdon, and then also they all they also lost Nikola Mirotic as well, who was a valuable you know stretch big uh, off the bench. Um, but even with those with those couple of losses, like I said, they've still got the coach. They've still got Yanis. Uh, they re-signed Chris Middleton. Eric Bledsoe can hopefully learn and improve upon his disastrous playoff uh, playoff showing a year ago. Um, so even even with the losses, the Bucks are still in a position to uh, assert themselves as kind of the the title favorites in the in the Eastern Conference next year. Moving back to the West with who I've got as my kind of dark horse title threats this year, and that is the Utah Jazz. Now, they have had one of the very best off-seasons of any team this this summer, and they now have one of the most well-balanced rosters, I think, in the league. Um, you know, you see what they did in free agency. They traded for Mike Conley. That was their big move. Now, Conley... He's definitely an upgrade over Ricky Rubio, and he he projects to be kind of the perfect point guard for this team. You know, he's a very steady and reliable floor general. You know, he rarely makes mistakes. He's great at setting guys up, running an offense. He's also he's also a very crafty scorer. You know, he's a very good shooter from the outside and has 
um a very good inside game with with floaters with either hand he's lethal with his with his offhand and he's and he's despite his his age he's still a he's still a very good finisher in the paint as well so he's he's a very very good addition for this team and he creates this sort of new big three with him uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell now Donovan Mitchell he's another key to the Jazz's title hopes next season in that um in order for the Jazz to be a real threat, I think Mitchell needs to take another step in his development, become an all-star, become um, a 25-point-per-game scorer, you know, kind of become the reliable sort of go-to superstar that the that team the team can sort of rely on come playoff time. I think that's the next step that Mitchell needs to take, and I think that's the next step that he very well can take now touching on a couple of the other off-season moves that utah made i think another valuable one was replacing Derek favors so um they let Derek favors go he ended up on the on the new orleans pelicans um he was the team's starting power forward for the last few years and they've essentially replaced him with boyan bagdanovich who ended up being one of the biggest free agent signings in in jazz history, but him suiting up at the four, um, I think, will really open up this team's offense. You know, obviously he's he's, he's nowhere near the the defender that Favors was, but when you've got Rudy Gobert protecting the paint, you can you can allow for some defensive lapses on, on the perimeter. But in terms of what this is going to do for the team's offense, I think uh the big 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 signing and um, so now you'll have you'll have a starting lineup of i assume mike conley donovan mitchell joe engels bogdanovich and rudy gobert now it's one of the most well-balanced starting fives in the league uh, you know you've essentially got four shooters surrounding gobert who will who will lock down the paint and then you've got a go-to scorer in donovan mitchell who can hopefully you know increase both his volume and efficiency next year and then um you look at a couple of moves they made to bolster their bench you know bringing in guys like ed davis emmanuel moudier who had a career year a season ago and jeff green as well all valuable pickups all you know good character guys as well which i, th- I think's a, a pretty a pretty big deal and yeah essentially when you when you look at when you look at this uh, new look jazz roster and um you look at the improved shooting they've got the improved balance the improved depth you know you can make i you can make the case that this jazz team could easily be you know a top three seed in the west next year i actually think they are going to be a top three seed because i think much like the denver nuggets the regular season is going to matter to these guys um, I think I think the one the one real question mark for them comes down to star power. So, namely, how big a leap can Donovan Mitchell take? I think his development, uh, the 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 ceiling of this Utah team this upcoming season hinges on on Mitchell's development. I think so. I think he's the X factor uh, to determining how far this team can go in the west 
Now, moving back to the East for the one real challenger, I think, to the Bucks, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, Philly had a very interesting offseason, um, and they now have one of the more intriguing starting fives, probably the most intriguing starting five in, in all of basketball, where it, it projects to be a lineup of Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson, who they who the team got from Miami, uh, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, who they signed from the Celtics, and then Joel Embiid at the five. Now that is one of the biggest, most physically imposing starting lineups you'll ever see, and that brings me to the first real point that you know makes you makes you think that these guys could maybe be the finals favorites in the East. And that is, of course, their defense. These guys, I think, have the potential to be the best defensive team in basketball next year. And by a pretty large margin as well. You just, you look at, you look at their, let's just look at that starting five once again. The worst defender in that starting five is Tobias Harris, who is still serviceable on that end, and he has very good size and length for for a small forward. You then look at Ben Simmons as an improving defender, and especially suiting up at the point guard position, he has unbelievable size and length. He's also very, very strong, athletic, and very versatile on the defensive end. He can easily guard ones through fours and even some fives too. Um, Josh Richardson is a very, very good perimeter defender who I think now that he, he'll be... Um, under more of a spotlight, I think, in Philadelphia, he'll gain more uh, recognition for his defensive prowess because he showed in Miami he can really lock up on that end. You've got Al Horford, who's one of the best big men defenders in the entire league, and up until this point, he was sort of the nemesis for Joel Embiid. He always held Joel Embiid to... Um, like well below his his regular numbers and then of course speaking of Embiid you've got him uh, at the five and now if if Philly's defense is as good as it projects to be I reckon Embiid could be the front runner for defensive player of the year next year so that's the kind of defense you're going to be dealing with facing the 76ers another thing they have going for them is the evolution of Ben Simmons now again if you've been if you've been watching lots of the off-season footage of guys scrimmaging and stuff, um, you'll know what I'm on about. But this seems to be the year where we're going to see Ben Simmons with a jump shot. I mean, you've seen you've seen the footage of him, you know, draining pull-up transition threes, turnaround fadeaways, and all all manner of all manner of jump shots. And I think if he can if he can bring that into the NBA season, that's that's going to unlock this team's offense as well. I think it'll improve the chemistry between him and Embiid, and that alone will kind of elevate the the entire team's offense. Um, and again, given that given that this core, well, especially Simmons and Embiid, they're still very young. Hopefully, uh, another year, um another year of experience for them will mean that they've they've again learnt from their shortcomings a year ago hopefully come come in you know a bit more a bit more focused and and kind of 
a bit more prepared you know they sort of know they know what's coming they know you know how to how to deal with the inevitable adversity and things that's going to come along with along with this season uh this team does have a few question marks though namely depth they they still don't have much of a bench so i think they're going to be relying on their starting five a lot uh shooting is another question uh especially given that they they lost jj reddick this offseason and they really didn't bring in a guy to replace him i mean if ben simmons comes back with a jump shot that's going to help things out uh josh richardson is a good shooter tobias harris is as well al horford um can hit threes just not at an incredibly high volume and then joel Embiid, he does struggle a bit from the outside but still has room to grow there but still they don't have too many pure shooters on the roster and that could be an issue come playoff time and then i think the final question for them is roster fit i think while it's certainly going to be fun to watch this watch this starting five kind of figure things out it is it is going to take some time, I think, and they may experience some growing pains along the way. But apart from that, if everything works out, I think the Sixers could easily be the team to beat in the in the Eastern Conference. Now we get to the to team number two, the second spot on this list. And I've got the LA Clippers at this spot. The team who probably had the most successful offseason. Uh, this year and that's where I would like to begin by making their championship case is with the two guys that they managed to acquire this offseason and that is Kawhi Leonard and Paul George now you look at the rest of the roster and this is much the same Clippers team as we saw a year ago um, you know, the the vastly overachieving squad. Um, they did lose Danilo Gallinari and Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but, I mean, they still have guys like Patrick Beverly, uh, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell, Landry Shamet. All these guys are, are, are coming back. And you add Kawhi Leonard and Paul George into that mix, and that, that is, that is that's just a scary team that you do not want to face when they are when they are at full strength and healthy. And touching on, on Kawhi and PG again, I mean, we, we know what they can do on offense. Um, both are guys that can average 25 points in their sleep. Um, but on defense, I think, is where these guys are going to set themselves apart. Where I've said before on the, on the podcast, I think this is potentially the best defensive duo that we've seen since Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. I mean, the, both these guys, they're arguably the two best perimeter defenders in basketball. And you add them to a squad that already has Patrick Beverly as a defender, and that that is going to be... I think they're going to compete with Philadelphia for having the best defense in the league. That is assuming that both Kawhi and PG don't miss a ton of time. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second, though. But in terms of other things this Clippers team has going for it, uh, Doc Rivers, who I think reestablished himself a year ago as one of the best coaches in the league. And then you've got the fact that the Clippers are a very, very good organization now. Very, very good organizational structure they've got in place there. And I think 
that they're going to be an enticing destination for for free agents in the future and i think their their front office is competent enough that they'll they'll make all the right moves and trades for this team to to put themselves in the best position possible to to be in contention come may and may and june time uh a couple a couple of uh, potential concerns for this team though um the first one is health now we'll talk about Kawhi first in this respect in that while he's while he he's not currently dealing with any injuries i do expect the clippers to be very cautious with him um i expect him to be under the same sort of load management program we saw in toronto a year ago uh, so don't be surprised to see Kawhi only play you know 60 something games next year so there's that and then in the case of paul george you know he's still recovering from uh, off-season shoulder surgery that he had uh, which could end up resulting in him missing the first few weeks of the season even now that could mean that this team gets off to a little bit of a slower start than they that than, than they would have hoped and also then when pg comes back there will inevitably be some rust and also growing pains in terms of you know integrating him into the team into the offense and all that so that that's certainly a question for for uh, maybe how will how health will affect their playoff seeding but i think as long as these guys are 100% healthy and ready to go come the postseason i think their seeding isn't going to matter so much i think they're they're a good enough team on paper where they can easily overcome being a um, even a fifth or sixth seed. I think they could easily overcome that. Um, and then I think the one the one other minor concern, it's not a major concern by any means, but a minor concern for this team is the fact that they don't really have a standout playmaker on the team. Now, obviously, Kawhi and Paul George, they are elite at creating their own shots although while each of them they are they are decent passers and playmakers they're not going to wow they're not going to wow you an average you know six or seven assists per game and the same goes for for their point guard patrick beverly you know he he's a serviceable floor general um but he's He's not a, a dime dropping machine by any by any stretch of the imagination. So that that is just that is just something to keep an eye on. I mean, ev- every team has has weaknesses, um, and I guess that that's that's the Clippers one. But again, it's not a major concern by any means. Um, and now the number one team that I've got on this list, you could easily go back and forth with number one and number two. I think, but I've got the other LA team the the lakers now while they certainly do have uh questions relating to their depth and that's only been exacerbated by the demarcus cousins injury um which has obviously affected their depth um that 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 is an obvious concern you know how much are they going to be relying on you know guys like lebron and ad and kyle kuzma and things um their other their other question obviously is health uh you know lebron coming off his first real major injury last season hopefully he can you know keep it together this year and ad ad's had his fair share of nagging injuries over the course of his career 
Um, but I mean, I guess I guess every team deals with uh, health concerns. Um, but the reason I've got the Lakers at the number one spot, despite despite those concerns, I just I'm finding it very very difficult, increasingly difficult, borderline impossible actually, to bet against this whole revenge LeBron that's been being talked about. I am I am fully 100% on board this revenge LeBron hype train. I think LeBron's going to come back and reestablish himself as the best player in basketball. I I don't think he's going to go 100% um for the entire regular season because I mean it is LeBron and he's going to be saving himself for the playoffs, but I do expect a re-energized, reinvigorated LeBron this year that's just going to kind of put the world on notice almost and then ad as well you know you've seen him he, he's coming out saying he wants to be defensive player of the year next year which is certainly an attainable goal for him and i think he's going to be playing with a chip on his shoulder as well he's going to be playing uh, something to prove you know he'll be trying to kind of rebuild his his image and his reputation after you know things ended in new orleans a year ago for him and also given the fact that he's had limited team success in his career he is going to be out to prove that he can win at high at high level and um, really he'll be looking to put his name in the conversation for best player in the league so I think he's maybe the forgotten name that doesn't really get talked about enough in in that in that discussion so when you have both LeBron and Anthony Davis each with something to prove and each with chips on their shoulder I I find it very difficult to count these guys out and I think if they if they can figure it out between them and sort of learn to play off one another, which I, I, I think is definitely going to happen on paper. They Their games fit together incredibly well. I just think if that all fits and works, there is no better duo in the NBA. And in this, this new league of star duos, I think that is... That 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 could be a deciding factor in the playoffs, maybe in the conference finals. If they have a conference finals matchup against the Clippers, it might just come down to you know which duo outperforms the other. And I would just find it almost impossible to to bet against LeBron and AD in a best of seven series. Other other than their their other than their top two guys. I, th- this Lakers team has an improved supporting cast compared to a year ago. Al- although they do have they do have questions about their depth. I do I do really like the signings they made though. Bringing in guys like Danny Green, re-signing Contavious Caldwell Pope, I think was was a good move. Uh, Quinn Cook uh, is a good scoring point guard to have off the bench. Avery Bradley um, is kind of a low risk, high reward player, and I and. Speaking of low-risk, high-reward, I think that's what the Dwight Howard signing is as well. Um, I think if his words are to be believed that you know his ego is dead and he's ready to buy in and all that stuff, I think Dwight can be a very, very valuable rotation piece for them. And then you've obviously got guys returning from last year like JaVale McGee, uh, Rondo, Alex Caruso, who can hopefully rekindle some of the magic that he showed in the tail end of last season. 
So uh, a very good improved supporting cast. And what you'll notice is this supporting cast is much better tailored to LeBron. You know, you've got much more shooting, much more defense, and that will uh, benefit both LeBron and AD, but especially LeBron. Um, and then you've also got Kyle Kuzma, who seems to be the X factor for this team. You know, some people are sold on him being the third star next to LeBron and AD. Some guys aren't. They're calling him overrated and... Um, you know, that, that'll be an interesting storyline to keep an eye on. Um, I, I, me personally, I think when you've got LeBron and AD, you don't really need a third star. You just sort of need a third, a third guy. And I think Kuzma can more than, more than fill that role. You know, they're, they're not asking him to, you know, put up 22 points and nine boards while being an effective two-way player, you know. They'd be happy with, you know, 18, 18 to 20 points on solid efficiency and just being, you know, serviceable on, on both ends. You know, I think that is more than doable for for Kyle Kuzma. I'm not expecting, you know, any, you know, world-breaking, any sort of world-breaking production from him, but... um. I definitely think he can be the third guy on this team, especially given um, some of the moves they made to bring in other guys, other complementary pieces as well. Um, so so there you have it, guys. Uh, let me know what you think of this list. Uh, again, on Twitter, at AroundTheArcPod. And yeah, give me your thoughts on, on who you think are the are the biggest contenders for the for the NBA title next year. As as I said, this list is probably going to change about a lot uh once once the season begins and that that's why I'm I'm, I'm so excited for this for this NBA upcoming NBA season because it's it's so unpredictable and I think we're going to see a lot of unexpected things um happen this season. But yeah, the Lakers are my pick at the moment um, to win it all. But yeah, like I said, let me know what you think. And that that just about does it for today's episode, guys. We'll wrap it up there. Um, as always, I hope hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, if you are enjoying the podcast. Uh, please feel free to go and leave a leave a review on iTunes or anywhere else on the interwebs. Um, very much appreciated. Five stars, of course, uh, would be ideal. But you know, give me your comments, thoughts, suggestions for for topics and and improvements that can be made to the show. Anything really, all is welcome. And other than that, guys, I will see you back here again next time. All right. 